Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Purpose podcast with me, your host, Shishing Young. Today, we're going to be talking to Emily Deacon from Earthos. Emily helps green tech startups get more alignment in the way that they make a positive impact and profit. And we're going to be talking about how Emily left her corporate sales job to become an entrepreneur. And also, we're going to be discussing things like how to overcome the dislike of selling, amongst other things. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for coming here to speak to us today. I'm so glad that you can make it um, to meet with us. So, Emily, you live in Peckham with your fat cash. I love that. I love that. (laughs) God, I really should start saying something more interesting about myself, don't I? (laughs) We love that. Um, so your background is in biomed and you were in sales um, in sort of in the world of medica- medical education and med tech startups for the last 11 years. Uh, and then you discovered coaching and personal development and that is what you're currently doing. So can you go us, kind of tell us a little bit about that journey, what happened there between being in this high-flying sales job for um, a med tech company versus then starting out on your own to do coaching and personal development? What happened? Sure. So thanks for asking. And again, I think it's so funny just because to me, because I've lived it, it feels so natural, but everyone's always like, what? That's so random, that jump from like, yeah, sales in, in medicine to now helping sort of green tech startups. But I feel like it was a sort of longer term pull throughout my life, plus a, a couple of pushes, really. So the pull came from always, always knowing that I really wanted to help people. But I didn't really know what that meant. I thought, is that, you know, quite hands on? Is that being a doctor is it being even a lawyer you know I I wasn't really sure what that would look like specifically for me and then because I've always been quite a generalist I sort of fell into the world of biomed did a degree it was actually really hard and <laughs> I don't think I'd do it again but I'm glad I've done it now um then fell into the world of sort of med comms med med tech med ed um and as you say it was a very kind of lucrative you know career for me I, I did very well in sales but I always had a slight values conflict. And I think that is from, you know, I was telling myself that the things I was doing was helping someone down the line, right? Like if I sold this educational program, then a doctor treats someone better than I'm helping the world, right? But it seems so far removed. And then there's the other more sort of complex piece, which I won't go too into, which is around the fact that I saw how much pharma companies spent on, you know, educational programs, apps, things like that, which I, of course, are important. But then I equally, in the back of my mind, understood how many people struggle to even pay for their education. So it just seems like a a system that's, although it's trying to do some good, is a little bit broken. And there was not much that I could kind of do about that from the inside. So that was a kind of underlying piece. And then a bit more of a push came from, Actually, when I I walked out of a startup a few years ago where I was just being treated really, really badly as that frontline salesperson. And my interest in personal development really started around then because I realized that I was using tools such as podcasts just to get myself through the day, just to have that confidence and that sort of understanding of how to manage difficult relationships. And It was funny. It was one particular podcast by this brilliant life coach over in the States called Unfuck Your Brain, which is called Cara Lowenthal. And I think I'd walked out and I remember just listening to her on the way back, like stomping. Um, 
I'm thinking, oh my God, like this is a job. I, I can be a life coach. And generally people had sort of come to me for, you know, advice with problems. And then I think the next day I literally looked up courses and, and then just started from, from there really. So even though I then went into a sort of another job um, subsequently, that's where I really just knew from then on, you know what, coaching for me, this is what I'm going to end up doing ultimately. That's amazing. It's it's a big, bright, kind of quite a brave move as I think a lot of people, especially during this time, really are thinking about changing their careers and want to go from a safe job that they perhaps are not very happy in to doing something that you love and something to, you know, start working for yourself because it, it comes with a lot of uncertainties when you start your own business, right? Uh, and I think that it's where a lot of our listeners are. So, um, so can you just tell us a little bit on what your thoughts were at that point um, of, you know, that day when you think back to, shall I do this? Can I really do this? Because it is really scary. I've always worked for myself. So I don't know what it's to go, what it's like to go from like safety <laughs> to completely unsafe. And I guess you had a little bit of a safety net um, during that or yeah what what, what what were your thoughts what did you what, what what were your fears or was there anything that you were scared of at all when you jumped from your big high paying job to <laughs> uncertainty so firstly and so because I um, fully left the job only back in in summer so I was doing coaching on the side for quite a while I think probably had quite a lot of time to think about it and obviously being in personal development you naturally self-reflect quite a lot and I was thinking about that word security and I realized that it's actually just a thought that we have about something it's more of a concept than something actual tangible and real and we associate these full-time jobs with a monthly salary with security but then actually there's so much that's out of your control when you're in that kind of environment that's way more in your control when you do work for yourself so I think it's realizing that that kind of as a concept and it's, it's probably just from years and years since like you know industrial revolution kind of times where that, that association has been made but it's not necessarily true true or correct um thinking about my own experience I think because that, that few years prior when I'd started coaching on the side I'd already walked out into you know nothing and been fine although I did go into another job I knew that it was possible to actually spend that time out of work and guess what I didn't die nothing bad happened right which which was sort of led to believe does so I think I'd had that almost practice um, but the real sort of trigger for me was it was the turning of the new year this year and I looked ahead and I thought can I have another year of me doing being sort of half in the sales job and half in the coaching? And I was like, that's not me at all. Like, I'm so all or nothing. I feel like I'm kind of half arsing things and I'm a bit bored in my work day. And like me being bored, that's that's not for me. I'm a bit too hyper for that. So I just set myself a deadline. I thought, look, I want to end on a good note. I knew I had a couple of big deals coming in for the company. I wanted to see those through. And I thought, and I'm going to leave by summer. And, and I did. Um, and it felt amazing. It felt great. I obviously, obviously, I will say that I was fortunate enough to have, you know, savings. So I did have a level of kind of financial ability to do so. But so much of it is mindset. And to be honest with you, it's an ongoing process. And I, I think it's really decoupling your value as a human being to the amount that you earn. Because again, I think that's something that we're taught as society is very important. You can't help but think, 
oh, like, well, I think one of the first questions you get asked, say, at a social gathering is what do you do? And you know that people are automatically putting you kind of, oh, where are they on the, you know, work slash, slash social chain? And it's just broken. <laughs> you know, you have to realise you have value as a, a human being, no matter what you earn. And I think I'm still just going through that process of, you know, disassociating from the high paying job and realising that actually who I am is this person who wants to help other, other people to have an impact. I love that. No, it's very true because every time you go to a networking event or any sort of dinners, any time you meet a person, it's always what do you do? And I do, yeah, I always struggle with that one because I do so many things. I don't do yeah. just one thing. And it's like, okay, which one do we start with? In yeah. this because we don't do just one thing anymore. It's not no. so, kind of, but people like to kind of pigeonhole you, don't they? And they sort of can make a perception of, Okay, so who's this? Is she a professional or he or they? Um, and what do they earn? And then I think they want to figure out that way, but it doesn't really work like that. So I think that's why I really liked your intro, actually, in your bio that you said to me. That I, I live in Peckham with my, my fat cat. I was like, okay, yeah, I like her. <laughs> I love cats. And it's all about you. You, are, you kind of introduce yourself within that as a person rather than going, I'm a coach. So, I, yeah, I really yeah. like that. Thank you. And just quickly, I make a very concerted effort, whether it's networking, whether it's, say, a random party or something. I'm never the one who asks what other people do first, I've noticed. And I think it's maybe it is part of this mental shift of, yeah, yeah, I'm a coach, but that's not exactly who I am. But I think, of course, a lot of people are still stuck in that mentality. So we have to deal with that question. <laughs> I know. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to come up with something like, yeah, um, I'm just the person that lives with my chickens or something. Yeah. <laughs> you you coach green tech companies um mainly startups is it or mm-hmm. yeah yes. so mainly startups um what do you see is the main um issue that they come to you with as a startup and also especially in sort of in the green tech space and can you explain also a little bit what green tech really means what what is that it's yeah Sure. So I think, I mean, I'm not convinced I use the word green tech properly. I I think in sustainability, the terms are constantly fluid and evolving. So mentally for me, green tech really covers any kind of company who's actively, you know, their solution is actively trying to fight the climate crisis in some way and has some, some kind of tech element involved. You can then break that down further. There's also kind of climate tech. There's the more hard tech stuff. There's, of course, software within it. So I probably use it in the broader term, but generally the, the companies I tend to help are more on the software side of things rather than sort of bigger hard tech stuff. Whether that's by, you know, sort of design or again, falling into it, I'm not quite sure yet, but that's sort of the way it tends to be. And the main problems really is, I think, firstly, because they're so kind of impact driven generally, and they've created this business to, you know, ultimately save the world, right, in quotation marks in some way, they forget about their own lives. So they realize that they have the ability to build a business around their lives rather than the other way around. And they've almost been grateful to just get a little minute to think about their personal goals alongside this huge thing, which is building a business, right? The second is, of course, the sales piece. So they often are amazing at what they do. They've got the product knowledge, they're engineers, they're techies, whatever, but they don't have that sales experience. They don't know their, even their USP and they don't know exactly how to talk about it. And of course, I've been in sales for 11 years. That's what I can really help with. 
And then the final piece is actually more around kind of culture and hiring, because, again, it's such a mission aligned industry. You really need to get the right people on board from the start to make sure it goes smoothly. And I think this was the problem with the job that I walked out of. So MedTech is similar, very mission aligned. And they hired very rapidly and they hired the wrong kind of management. And of course, that then spoils the company really from the inside out. So, yeah, so those are probably the three main issues that they come to me with. Okay. Now, can we just go back a little bit and talk about, um, you mentioned sales has been one of the key pieces as well that a lot of green tech companies, and I think a lot of startups, and I've noticed this myself within the sustainability space, that sales, profit, money, all of those things kind of, it's looked at somewhat negatively within this industry for a lot of um, startups and within the sustainability space. Because I think in normal businesses, like I say normal with the quotation marks, it's all about profit. But within the sustainability world, it's more like we want to change the world. And profit is almost looked at as a bad thing. We don't want to make a profit out of people in terms, you know, when we're trying to change the world. Have you noticed that when you're working with your startups, maybe tech companies slightly different that come from sort of the, the, the fashion, more impact driven social entrepreneurship side. So maybe it's different. Um, but how is it in, your, in the tech space, um, in the green tech space? Yeah, it, it's so interesting. It's something I come across a lot, actually. And of course, it is profit that's got us into this mess in the first place. Right. But I don't think it should be a bad word in this space. And it's interesting. So there's an exercise that I do with my clients called the three-year vision orbit. And it's where you kind of go around and as it sounds that you do your vision for three, two, one years of different aspects of the business. They're always happy to talk about the revenue because they understand that they need the money to make the impact. They never actually want to talk about the profit. They always leave that kind of section out, which is just so interesting because, of course, you see that they want to make these massive revenues. And so they should because they deserve to have an impact. They deserve to have a nice life, but they refuse to talk about profit. Um, and it's it's tricky because I think money, money's been turned into this kind of moral thing, right? But ultimately, all money is, is a concept that only works because we all buy into it. It doesn't really exist. It's not really a thing, right? And it's only, I think, when it's chased too much or it's used for the wrong reasons, ultimately, because of people and their choices, that's when it becomes bad. But the money itself, of course, isn't. So I think people just need to realise it's okay to want to make money. It's okay to want to have the money, firstly, for the impact in your business, but secondly, to actually have a nice life yourself, right? Like that that phrase where they say, put your own mask on before someone else's. If you are having a terrible time, you can't afford to pay your own bills or you're not really enjoying your life and how are you they're going to have the energy to put back into the business and to really achieve the things you want to achieve so I think we do need a bit of a have a bit of a rethink not of course we can't just purely chase it but we need to accept that it is part of business even if that business is trying to you know do something really good yeah I, I just find it interesting in this space yeah like you say that they don't mind talking about revenue but actually a lot of people's like no I don't want to profit from it it's like but yeah. if you don't profit on it <laughs> like you know full well seeing that revenue you know that that is not all going into business like that is obviously going to become profit which you need to then keep reinvesting right and yeah it's a it's a funny one (laughs) yeah so okay so it's the same within tech as well uh, because um yeah in social entrepreneurship is definitely a big issue 
um, that we are facing and also in other sort of impact-driven um, businesses as well. Now, can we, um, in terms of sales, so you come from a sales background and then now you are um, mentoring and coaching in sales. What are the similarities or what can we learn from sort of the medtech sales strategies to then selling sustainable solutions? Are there any differences or do you think all sales is just sales? So interestingly, I did actually see a lot of similarities between probably medtech and green tech. So at their core, they're both very mission driven. So I feel like I've already said mission about a thousand times, but it's true. <laughs> so because, of course, on the health tech side, you have generally it's around saving patients lives or improving lives. Right. So very important stuff. Of course, in the green tech, it's something to do with um, the, the planet, well, probably something more specific. So they're both trying to inherently do something good but they both have to show that ROI to whoever is either investing in them or buying from them. So then it's kind of turning something that's inherently a, well, you should just buy this just because it's doing something good into, okay, you should, there's that, but also here is what you are going to get in return. So I think it's really understanding from the start, not only your values, but also your value proposition to the client. Also, but a lot of the kind of apps or, you know, green tech companies that I'm speaking to, they tend to have both a um, kind of business arm and a consumer arm. And it's similar in medtech as well. And that obviously, of course, brings extra complications because it's keeping quite a lot of people happy. It's being very consumer focused, but also really having that kind of business savvy mindset and thinking, OK, why would a business actually invest in us? Plus, there's the classic kind of usual just startup chaos that's that's the same in kind of whatever whatever companies. I feel like Med Ed is probably completely different because it's way more. Um, it's kind of got longer foundations, so it's got way bigger budgets. It's probably a bit easier to sell, but at the same time, it's really not very agile. So I think the key thing that startups have or maybe a more established kind of industries or even, you know, random competitors is the fact that they can be really, really adaptable. So does that answer your question? My mind went on yeah. tangent. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It does. And I think, I, I think a big part of why I ask that question sometimes is because MedEd or MedTech is still very profit driven. In, in a way that sales is a bit, we understand that it's a huge part of what they do. But then maybe in green tech, because of the reasons what we discussed earlier, may not be as sort of sales and profit driven and how maybe it's selling differently. But like you explained, is still, um, what was the word that you used? Mission driven? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And okay. actually... As you say that, it's funny because I think part of the reason that I did struggle a bit at the start I walked out on is because we lost the mission and the values of the company as it grew. And it did become just purely about the sales and getting people over the line and being quite aggressive in sales tactics. And I think, and it's always my example, I think you say you have this mission to save X many number of lives, yet you don't care about the lives in front of you. And that's such the reason that I focus on culture when it comes to green tech because I I just don't want to see that happening to these companies where it does become just about the profit and they forget about the people that are working for them and they forget to actually eat sleep and breathe the whole reason that they're doing it in the first place which 
when in this kind of industry you, you need to do so yeah some similarities but definitely yeah you're right some differences yeah it, yes it's just the way how how I think of medtech um not as I mean I think they've had some bad kind of rapport rapport is that the, the word um <clears throat> bad rep uh, in terms of sales and they are generally I think perceived by many that they are very um kind of profit driven and yeah uh, so great so now what are the steps that you have for someone that is thinking about starting a maybe a sustainable business or a green tech company what do you think is the thing the three top things that they should be aware of or think of before they start Oh, I love that. So I think, I guess at a company level, you really need to understand what makes you distinct. And as an evolution from that, you really need to understand the value that you provide. So it's obviously great to have a nice idea that, you know, cleans up the oceans or something like that. But you need to know from like literally dot one, who is going to buy this and why are they going to buy this? Sadly, I know it's very kind of money focused, but that is how business works. So you do need to think about that. I feel like the second is probably you personally. You know, we spoke about earlier about the perceived security of a, you know, day job. Are you not only financially, but are you kind of mindfully and mentally actually been able to take the stress of the sudden responsibility you know it's going to be you in charge of your days when you start say hiring in the future it's going to be you in charge of you know salaries other people's jobs you know work wellness that kind of thing like are you probably are you really prepared to kind of take that on and I guess the third is kind of the longer term vision for maybe your life you know you, do you want to get into this thing where you're going to need to basically marry it for at least 10 or so years before you can probably either get someone else to run it or to to I don't know even if you want to exit you want to start another business, whatever it may be but are you fully committed to marry this thing as I say <laughs> and you know kind of give it your all for that long because I think it can seem like oh yeah cool you know having a startup sounds fun it does but it also sounds absolutely mental and absolutely draining so yeah I feel like interestingly I went more on the personal route there but yeah I think just thinking about kind of you who you are as a person what you want but also really understanding from the start has your business got legs yeah and and that have you got the commitment to run with it Exactly. exactly. So I think that's quite a big piece. There's a lot of startups, and actually, after a year or so, they might get a bit bored of it. And yeah, oh, exactly. And then, so finally, then, um, if I hate selling, yes, <laughs> <laughs> love. I love this question already. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of people do, and you are expert seller. So if I really hate selling um, in, in whatever industry. Um, what can I do to overcome that objection within myself? Because I, I, I do speak to a lot of people. And also for me as well, I, I used to love, sell, uh, love selling. No, I love selling now, but I used to also hate selling. So what are your take on that? How, how, do, you, how do you overcome the, the kind of the objection of selling? Sure. So you really think of selling is solving a problem 
for a customer. The only reason you're selling anything is because the thing you're selling solves a problem. And how is your customer going to find out about it if you don't sell it to them? You're actually doing people a disservice by not telling them that you and your product exist. It's just, it's madness. If you think about creating something that you want to sell, then you don't tell anyone about it. How are they going to know? (laughs) Right? sometimes we're just like I don't want to sell it yeah I know I I think as well there's I I think the way I've always approached so I've never been that typical aggressive kind of greasy salesman kind of vibe I hate that I don't lie to people if I don't know the answer to something I don't just bs them I'll say I'll find find that out for you things like that to me it's always been about building an actual relationship and building trust and I think that's why I've done so well in those longer term strategic partnerships that I would also urge you know your listeners to kind of go for as well be a person you don't have to have all the answers you don't have to be slick you need to know your stuff you need to know your USP as I've probably said loads of times but you also just need to actually be a person and you need to listen really really find out their problems and if you can solve it amazing then you can you know really pitch them but equally if you kind of meet someone that you think actually it's not quite a fit don't just sell your soul for the sake of it or kind of get desperate and get into bed with the wrong people you really need to keep a level of integrity and make sure that you are genuinely helping the person or company in front of you and then deliver really really well and guess what you won't need to sell anymore because they're going to keep coming back to you I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. Now, Emily, no if I would like to start working with you, how do I find you? How do I contact you? Sure. So um, the best, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So I'm Emily Deacon or the Green Tech Business Coach. I've got little avocados around my name. So you sound quite easy to spot. And I'm just always happy to pop me a message. The initial stage will always be a kind of qualifying call, again, to make sure that I can actually help you. And I'm always just happy to kind of chat, even if it's a bit early. I love meeting people and, you know, you never know if it's uh, kind of useful down the line. But currently mainly working one to one. And next year I'll be releasing some group programs as well. Oh, brilliant. So so the group programs, will you be able to update us when you've launched it? Yes, absolutely. Is it it to start a business, your future group program or... um, so I'm probably the best way that um, I can help is really where people are already started a business, but they might still be working out exactly what the USP is. They might be revenue generating. Equally, they don't have to be, you know, a lot of sales skills also transfers to those investor conversations as well. So really happy to help whoever's relevant. Fantastic. I love that. Thank you so Great. much for coming, Emily. It's been interesting to uh, hear your take on sales and um, <laughs> how to do it better. Um, yeah, so that's it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you would like more tips, ideas, and thoughts on how to launch, grow, and scale a purpose-driven business and also hear from other purpose-driven entrepreneurs about their journeys, please follow the podcast. And remember, lead with purpose.